0: Welcome to a new episode of the Creative Industry Insight podcast. I'm your host Bob. For our second episode celebrating the 25th anniversary of The Sopranos, we welcome production designer Dean Tauscher. Dean will walk us through his work in the first season of the show and how he crafted the various iconic sets and logos. Please be warned that there are heavy spoilers in this episode. Now let's jump into the conversation with Dean. Hi, Dean. Thank you for joining me today. Nice to see you, Rob. Um, We're here to talk about The Sopranos, uh, which has just had its 25-year anniversary of it being first aired on HBO, which is crazy to think that 25 years ago, the whole TV landscape changed. And it's a show that people are still talking about now, and I think it's a show that people will never stop talking about.
1: No, it's ah uh, it it's amazing on my end, too. It's uh, on one side, oh, I remember what all happened in these other twenty five years, but it does seem well, maybe that's just as a person getting older, uh, these decades just uh, uh, fly by. You're not it doesn't make sense. Here we are twenty five years later,
0: yes, and i bet you for some people it just feels like literally yesterday and then they blinked and then now they're here and then also the fact that like it's just such a lightning in a bottle kind of show with the way that it's just had staying power its cultural footprint and even now people are trying to copy it to to um, make sure that their show could be similar to that the sopranos yeah which is again crazy to think i think it's there must be like something like a weird algorithm or something very scientific to the way that it just hits. Um, and or it's just a phenomenon, phenomenon that no one can ever explain.
1: Well, um, have you have you heard something in the past month or so? Some weird thing that they said that men think of the Roman Empire almost every day. And it was like I don't know what that means, but the other day I was in a park and there was a you know a triumphal arch. And you know, the United States uses a lot of Roman symbolism too. And there are these, you know, fasci uh, and they were bound sticks that the sticks were used to beat slaves with an axe head, you know. And Sopranos was uh, basically based on I Claudius restaged in New Jersey. So instead of a dynastic fight over uh, a Roman Empire, it's a dynastic fight over these pathetic mobsters in New Jersey with the mother, like in I. Claudius, whose name is Livia, who then tries to get her emperor son killed. Uh, So... If people want to, uh, I guess if other writers want to get the lightning in the bottle, uh, they they need to steal from uh, uh, classical sources again and restage them somewhere. Instead of instead of trying to steal from Sopranos, they need to go to some other older sources and uh, restage them in modern society.
0: That's that's a quite a. So when you said about men thinking about the Roman Empire at least once a day, you're kind of subconsciously thinking about it if you think about sopranos and other shows as well, um, which is actually really smart and clever in a way, but then also um, it, they're called the classics for a reason with all with um, the The Odyssey and then uh, other works of uh, literature, even going to somewhere like Shakespeare because they always get reinvented, but they're just so perfect in the way that they're presented and and how people can still use and adapt them to this day. Like I, I would never imagine if somebody had written that and they would think that how many thousand years later that somebody would still be using that as the base of their show or entertainment um, at that time. But going back to the show itself, Um, you were the production designer on the first series um, from episode two uh, to the finale. And how did the show come about and what made you want to take it on? Uh,
1: I'm not sure how it originally
0: came about, but the original
1: designer, Ed Pizzoni. I'm not sure the reason he didn't continue with the show. I'm not sure. I just know that he recommended me to take over for him. Uh, so I, I like to think that he didn't come back because he had some, he did, he did some pretty big movies. So I, I I like to think he came back, didn't come back because he had another commitment with something else. There was a long time between the pilot being made and it being green lit for the first season. So uh, there was plenty of time for, you know, somebody to be either out of work or looking for new work or whatever. And uh, so, when I took over, went, mostly when pilots are done, no permanent sets are made. The one permanent set that was made by Ed Pizzoni and the, you know, one of the major focuses of the show is the psychiatrist office and uh, i think he was quoted as saying i didn't want tony to have any corners to hide in which is why the set is a circle so there was a little psychology going on there with that and then the uh family's home which again was shot on location and all the exteriors were shot at the house in north caldwell new jersey the set was built uh, in, in studios in Queens, New York, part of New York City, there used to be a, a bakery, Silver Cup Bakery, and it's called Silver Cup Studios. And, uh, you know, some people have said, well, what did what you do on I mean, it, it? It's just this house. It's like, well, in the pilot, there's no bedrooms that are done. And if you look at the exterior of the house, there's no second story on the house because of the size of the soundstage that we're in, there was no room to add bedrooms on the ground floor like they were in the real house. So I added a, a great, the entryway with the great room and the stairway up to, the, to this mezzanine, and the bedrooms were then on a second floor in the soundstage. So all of the bedrooms were mine, and creating the second floor in this sort of massive space as they come in, that was uh, all all me, and then the pork store, uh, again, the exterior and the front of it was based on a pork store, and they wouldn't let us shoot there, and they wouldn't even let us use their name the second time, so Centriales became Satriales. <laughs> uh, but the back room and the back room of the strip club were both things that I designed and had built uh, on the set. I don't know, had you looked at my website at all and the, some of the sketches that I had for those uh, those pieces and the uh, sketches for the original uh, logo? and?
0: Uh, yes, I did have a, a look at all of those. Um, it's just, uh, again, it's one of those things that's quite uh interesting to see as um like the difference between actually seeing the real life and the um sketches of them again i know things will change because sometimes it's like the uses of space or how much space you might have in there or how um certain design points might look um for example like the um like with like the staircase um sketch that i've got loaded up now um it's again. I get. I guess as an audience member, when you see these behind the scenes things, because um, going from experience, I'm not actually I'm not very good at drawing. So when you see these sketches and uh, drawings and how much detail is them for me um, is quite incredible to look at um, as a piece of art itself. And then when you start seeing them how they're compared to um, what is uh, made and what they start putting in with like set decorating and. The different ideas that uh you want to sort of convey uh in in the set um to what you've drawn um and then also the sort of stylistic choices with um what is added in uh with set decorating and then i know on your website there are the sketches are just done in black and white which I think allows probably more creativity for when you're building the sets to know what sort of color schemes you want to go for and what's going to look best uh, when you're actually there rather than trying to uh, merge colors together in your sketches.
1: Yes, yes, I'm from an older school era when you would do those kind of sketches and work from there because it's it's really hard to, uh, when you're dealing with scale and also the time frame presenting color sketches can lead to all sorts of additional questions from the producers and directors when a color sketch is sort of a lie you know sketches are sort of a lie anyway and you're in the midst of building this thing very quickly I mean from the time those sketches happened to our starting building was probably you know a week a week and a half so uh In some ways, it's easier to talk about the colors as you're painting the sets than uh, from a sketch, because when you're doing a sketch or a painting, you would try to indicate lighting, and with lighting, you know, colors have variations, and you're trying, you know, a, a color sketch would be trying to show also the emotion of the character that you're trying to show, not necessarily... Uh, a decorator's view of what needs to be made or
0: created yes and i think when you have the sketch compared to like colors because you can i think the way that i would think about it as well is like it's better to see what the color looks like on the board rather than on a on a uh, sketch because on a sketch, you're also not taking into consideration a lighting setup that might need to be uh, uh, be inserted in the stage as well. So if you have, as an example, um, like a, a red, for example, on your sketch, but then you use the red on and set up all the lights and ready to shoot could come out as orange, for example, um, or it might be bouncing off or look a bit too heavy. um. And that's like another thing as well as designer that probably needs to be taken into consideration is the um, how important color is when you're um, designing these um, setups and how you don't want certain things to clash as well and um, it's like the 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 room in the strip club with the pool table
1: mm-hmm.
0: looking at the um, photo itself um, of the actual setup, how the felt um on the pool table itself is um lighter compared to the walls in the um in the office. Um, and obviously that's quite specific because it's a where you can say that you could say that the strip club itself is kind of like a warehouse turned into a strip club because they need the higher ceilings for the poles and whatnot. So there'll probably be something that you need as a back room to think of the backstory of like the location as well.
1: Exactly. And again, maybe there was an office at the real strip club, but it would have been just a, you know, small, small room. And for the show, we needed someplace where all of these uh, guys could hang out. So that was all just at the real strip club. They'd go through a door and then
0: cut to the set, which was uh, sitting in Queens. Yes. And I, this is a question I kind of wanted to say for later, but you mentioned it now about cutting. Um, I know this is a sort of more of a continuity question for people who would make notes for the editors and the DOP would need to match lighting. But as a designer, when they're cutting from a location to a set, for example, um, how do you go about that? taking those sort of things into consideration in your designing?
1: well you know the main the main house we matched the front door and part of the facade so you could show tony leaving and then cut to the exterior as he's there with the with the reverse sometimes depending if it was you know a set that was only being used once you would if somebody's leaving a door and you don't have the background to match the, the director uh, would decide, you know, in conjunction with you, is like, you know, I don't have the time or space or money to recreate an exterior background for the person to leave. So the director often would rake across the door so you would see the person leave, but not shooting through the doorway. Sometimes people would leave you know if you're in a motel room you're going into a hallway so that's easy to recreate a modest backing so somebody can leave and enter those are just common design uh, elements that's usually are you know firmly discussed with the director so he knows what he's going to get and not surprised on the day of shooting it's like how am i supposed to get this guy in and out of the set you don't want that phone
0: call. Uh, well, I think that phone call. Yeah, well, yeah. One, you wouldn't want that phone call because then you wouldn't have to be on the fly to be able to, uh, quickly change what's going on. Um, and then also, yeah, what you'd completely lose a day of um filming as well because if you can't move something. Wow. but I I guess as well like there is that comes into planning because I've also looking at your uh the sheets is that like the um layout of uh what the space looks like. so I guess where somebody would walk in um and how uh, the, the sort of area would be um which again I, I quite I spoke to another production designer as well uh regarding that because, they were shooting all pretty much on one location uh, for a film that he was designing, uh, the gentleman's called uh, Ramsey Avery. And um, he he was kind of just like, well, if, if you're going to be breaking down the script about where people are moving, it's important to understand the use of your space and where things will be in your space. Um, so I think um, when you look at... Um, uh, Olivia's home this is going back to your sketches is the um is what the layout of that house would be so you'd have going into the uh house itself you'd go in with a walkway but a uh, hallway sorry and then there'd be the living room and then going out to the back would be the kitchen area where the the um dinner table would be um and I find that sort of thing quite interesting about how um as a design point you need to think about where uh how the layout of somebody's house would be as well, not just that it be like sort of a mishmash of things.
1: When you're designing permanent sets, they have to make more sense. They have to make sense to work for shooting, but they also have to make architectural sense so you're not taking the audience out by, you know, doing something odd that's supposed to be a suburban home. But when you're doing a set, that is just maybe occurring in one episode, sometimes you're designing it to fit the action that's written so that the elements in the scene can happen easily for the director and the DP to shoot, which might, it might not make the most sense architecturally, but to tell the story, it's the most efficient way of you know, somebody breaks in, has a confrontation at the door, goes down a hallway, finds somebody who's tied up in the in a thing. You know, the elements of the script often determine how to design a set, especially if it's just a one-off thing. Permanent sets have to. The permanent set, the writers have to adjust to what the set is to make the action work within it. So it's like at one time I'm determining or production designers determining to the writers what they have to write to because it's there every episode. But on, standalone, epi- on, on sit- standalone episodes, you really need to accommodate the writer's. To tell the story in the most efficient way possible
0: in those sort of cases how do you go about uh you'd break it down in the script but how would you go about talking about it with a uh, writer because it, with a tv show you would have the writers you'd have a showrunner then you also have different directors working on it um how would you go about sort of discussing those ideas and breaking it down uh, for them well, so that you're all on the same page
1: in my experience you know the writers have a certain expectation and the directors are there to help fulfill that so my relationship mostly would be with the directors uh rarely would i be talking about what the set would be uh, the the layout and floor plan of 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 a set with the writers they think they've already done everything by giving you the the script and it's uh, it's for the rest of the team, the director, and the rest of the team to fulfill that. So, it it would be rare that the writer would jump in in the midst of an episode and say, uh, "What the hell did you do?" You know, there's also there's also any number of producers involved who are there, communicating and maybe showing what you're doing to the writer and i'm often not part of that process and it's you know when sopranos was done i don't think we uh, had things uh, uh like the cell phones now i mean it would be a totally different thing uh you know david chase would probably be getting updated photos and videos of the locations and being able to approve things just instantaneously then they were still taking photos of locations with uh you know wet cameras somebody run to a one hour developer and st- and tape all of these photos together to get a panorama of the things and make these elaborate folders of locations so it was it was uh much different than it is now and and as also uh with production designers There's some other thing called pre-visualization. So instead of a black and white sketch like you saw me do, they do color 3D mock-ups that I think you, you know, like an architectural thing, like you can walk through. Uh, And it's all done digitally. And the bizarre thing is that they use different programs than the post people who do post production cgi work so it's not like the production designer and his art team do these elaborate digital presentations it's not like then they can use those in the film then it's it, it's it's another world and it's not mine cuz i'm not i'm not uh, very adept uh with computers
0: i think with the whole previous thing as well like amazing how things have changed completely quite a lot um and that you can now i think even to the case now where you can where people have the the vr headsets and they can literally walk through their sets and then if they were thinking well if we wanted to use different lenses then they could i think there's like a couple of clicks and you can feel what it's like uh with different lenses and the vocal and the that you want to use on the show, which is, again, like crazy how that sort of has happened um, in terms of um, the way everything's moved forward and how different uh, design has become and uh, how um, just the the way that processes has changed. (laughs) Excuse
1: me. All all of these actors performing almost whole movies in in front of a green... Green backgrounds where they get digitally uh, placed. In uh, I would think a lot of my work, if nothing else, uh, gave actors comfort in terms of who they were supposed to be and helped underpin their characters. <laughs> Whereas these, you know, sci-fi movies, they're they're uh, in a green world, and they have to
0: draw out their character from somewhere else yes and i can imagine as well um acting in front of like a tennis ball or um anything like that can be quite difficult uh just because it's uh how, how do you visualize it how do you visualize what's happening and what you're doing uh yeah. compared to being on a real set and how it feels to be uh, in, in amongst it all basically but then going back to the show itself, because you've at, at times as well in a show that you're uh, designing for uh, different uh, people in terms of their stature in the organization. So Tony's house would be very lav- lavish. Um, it would be basically has everything that he would like, and you you can tell that he would be having buying things uh, that he wouldn't have had when he was younger. Um, and providing for his family, whilst you would go to someone like Christopher's house, which is uh, quite bare, should we say, there isn't much, it's a very small uh, space and it's kind of like populated with the basics. And then obviously you would have Olivia's house, which um, would be stuck in time in a way, because uh, after a certain time you'd be, you've got your space that you've had for so long that you kind of don't really wanna, uh disrupts the look and feel that you have um when it came to these sort of ideas and uh presenting uh these sort of looks as well uh how did you go about uh, designing them and what sort of consider what sort of detail and consideration did you think about putting in
1: oddly enough uh, i think it was a simple decision with christopher he's a young man he's single uh, you know, it was like uh, a, a bachelor pad with uh, a black vinyl couch, and uh, you know, maybe a stereo system and nothing else. He was, you know, a place to bring uh, uh, women back to, and uh, not a home. And he's, you know, just like. What was your first apartment like? You know, it wasn't. It wasn't lavish. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, It wasn't you weren't buying uh, uh, dish sets and uh, matching towels as a young man. And Livia's—that was originally a location, so a lot of that was uh, the structure of it was the house we shot in, and the woman who that I hired and brought in, uh, Janet Shaw, was the decorator. From episode two through the entire uh, run of the show, so in a way, she more than anybody helped define what the show looked like, uh, especially on on locations. Uh, you know, so after after the first season, most of the permanent sets were there: the psychiatrist's office, the family's house, the back rooms of the strip clubs. Christopher's set, which would be put up and down, depending, you know, because of limited stage space, you'd always be tearing down sets and building other ones. Like the, uh, what is the one episode where uh, Tony's on on drugs and he's hallucinating and he's, he uh, thinks he's seeing this beautiful Italian woman?
0: Yes, that's the, when he's... Um... Yes, I know which episode you're talking about. It's like
1: on Prozac or something like that, and you know, he's then there's flashbacks where, so like, she's nursing a baby in this peasant, peasant cottage in 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 Italy. Well, obviously that was all built and, but we didn't have a lot of space for sets to just sit there. The permanent sets stood there and then other things would be built to go in and out. So Livia's house would be erected when there were scenes for her, then taken down. And then some of these sets that were just one-offs and uh, the the funeral scene where uh, it's near the end where uh, they're about to put a hit on uh, Tony and Uncle Junior is standing by this woman's coffin and he's talking to these younger guys and i think he said oh she's the she's the first you know she's the first woman to give me a hand job or something like that and these two younger guys are standing there like it's a fucking funeral you know what are you talking about and he he's worried that this hit on tony isn't going to go well and you know we were going to shoot this in a real funeral home in uh the west village in new york and you know, the show hadn't aired yet. And they were like, mobsters? No, we don't want our funeral home associated with mobsters. So now, you know, the funeral home would probably say, you know, they'd probably have it on their flyer. Shot, you know, funeral, sh- funeral scene shot from Sopranos here. Come and bury your loved ones. You know, they probably would have made a fortune. <laughs> there was another scene in where the uh you remember the guy in the the guy who was the head of the family who was had cancer and he's in the hospital and they jackie, the jackie jackie
0: Apre- yeah, april
1: april april so his funeral we find this old cemetery and it's like between a couple of elevated highways in new jersey and it's you know But the cemetery probably dates back to the early 19th century. And I'm there, we'd already, I'm there waiting for the rest of the scout to come. I had come with a few other people and I'm looking around and it's like, there's no place to put other graves. And I I asked the guy, how are you still in business? I said, is this owned by a church? Or he said, no, 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 my family owns this. I said well how are you still in business this has been this is full how do how do you sell graves anymore he goes he goes i keep track of who comes in you know you got to sign in you could come in and if people aren't coming in for a while no relatives come in i just dig up the old graves and i resell them and i look at him like oh this is a nice business model and he, he gets more specific he goes after 5 years it all rots out there's nothing left it's just some bones so i'm thinking this is this is a perfect business model they regenerate the funeral plots
0: i feel like that's a quite a morbid thing to sort of think about but i guess as someone who has a, as a family business um needs to take into consideration how to
1: maximize their uh, assets
0: yeah, exactly. That's the right word. Um,
1: one, one wonders if it's at all legal what they're doing, but we were working on a show about illegal acts anyway. So it was like, okay, mum's the word.
0: I think as well, like going back to your point about um, saying the um, the funeral home, um, saying no to you guys filming sort of association of it, and you're right. They probably would be putting stuff on the fly, be like, yeah, um, you know, as seen on the hit TV show The Sopranos. But when you're, I think was quite interesting as well is like the the difficulties as like uh, uh, production that you have to go through, um, trying to find locations and places to work because there are, as you said, there's certain there is certain uh, sets that you will need locations for rather than they could just be a set build um especially if it's quite specific like a cemetery because you can't just I would, I would hate to think how difficult it would be if you had to rent a field out and put erect loads of gravestones and um make it look legit um and the patinas that you'd have to put on the gravestones as well to make it look like it's not a brand new one but then also how much a headstone would cost um
1: right and the the odd thing you know i've watched you know plenty of movies, but the, sh- you know, various shows I've worked on, the lawyers are concerned about showing actual headstones of the names. So you they're afraid they're going to get sued by some relatives when you show a name of an existing headstone. So a lot of times shots are set up so that you're on the back of the headstone so you're not seeing a whole bunch of gray. And if you're putting your own headstone in, The surrounding headstones, you might need to make also so that you get an approved name from the legal department. And uh, an enormous amount of, seems like, busy work that the art department would have to do to accommodate legal aspects from the law department. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't show this, you can't show that. And then you get you watch other shows it it all depends on the corporate entity you're working for as to how loose or structured they are in terms of these rules very bizarre
0: that sometimes you'd use a headstone that has um what's the word uh, it would be you'd use like cruise names on it so that you could probably right. get away with you can get away lot. with using, yeah, because then you could be like, Well, they've given us our consent, we don't need to find someone else to find it, right. and it makes it easier for for you to sort of get away with it. And then also it's a nice little freeze frame to show to your family to be look see, I made it, I yeah. made it. <laughs> Not just in the credits, but beforehand as well. I'm on screen.
1: Nice, yes, there you go. And then at one point early on with the use of uh, web web you know, websites and things like that. Uh, people, the graphic artists would search to see if a name had been registered. And if it hadn't, they would make a fake website and use it on the screen for whatever, you know, some, whatever this specific plot point was they needed it for. And then some smart people would go around, freeze frame that website go and register it in their name and sue the company for to be paid for future use of that episode in reruns so the company would have to go back film company either pay these people off or re-edit the show and put a different name in so now when you see websites and things on screen they're all Bought and purchased by the studio so that somebody can't sue them later. How's that for stupid?
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know. I just find that well, one, whoever sort of thought about that beforehand was probably just, you know, I just, I guess, in a way, you're quite clever because then you can say, well, here's a quick. They must have had a sort of quick make money scheme of uh, yeah. the decision, but then also. Yeah, you're right. How stupid can it be that you can't do something like that, um, where you need to uh, then add so much more work for art department to then come up with certain names, then also having people to clear it, um, to make sure that it's all all okay and it doesn't get uh confused, not confused, but um, you don't get sued over it. But then yeah, also yeah. maybe you could have like free publicity from it. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, yes, like I, I was saying, there was so much work that happened in the art department that was just like, we have to do what? You know, not not part of helping tell the story. It's helping from the league. It, it's helping the company from being sued. That's, that, that's a whole different story.
0: Yes, and I, I can't even imagine how much extra work they must put on for people that... But you could have spent how many hours on a design and then somebody does a quick clearance check. And then it's actually just all, it's not, not, it's not come correct. um, Which would like, I guess would be quite demoralizing if you've had your, uh, if you, you know, you spent the whole day on it.
1: The uh, uh, you know, and there's a big difference between the shows that happen on network and the shows that happen streaming in terms of like product placement. Also, Uh, I worked for many years on a show called Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which is an NBC show and lives by advertising and then lives by advertising in syndication. As you know, it's playing forever. All of these Law and Order shows just play forever and they don't want any uh, images that might. Uh, keep a future advertiser from advertising on the show so there's no nobody's holding a can of real beer nobody's holding a coke or a pepsi nobody's holding a starbucks all of those products every one of them corn chips everything store names everything is made up so that in some future future time when they're trying to sell additional advertising, somebody goes, I'm not going to advertise in this year. The this this show's full of Pepsi and I'm Coke. <laughs> and then on the other shows and our movies, they get paid product placement. They're, they're either given products or given products and money to use the products on these movies.
0: When, when you do have these sort of product placement, Um, that comes up in shows and how does that go about when in terms of affecting your design because you probably have an idea of how certain things might be but if then if somebody says well we need to make sure that you have a big poster of uh the coke sign for example because we are um they're giving us some sort of like sponsorship towards it
1: i've never been in that kind of project where the product placement was that powerful or that effective to, to do it. Uh, <clears throat> I saw one kid's movie once and the whole movie's premise must have been product placement. It was called million dollar check. And the premise was this little kid on a bicycle. Some guy backs into him and crushes his bicycle. And the guy's in a big hurry and says, says here, take it to your dad. And, uh, buy a new bicycle and the kid makes it a million dollars and somehow there's a million dollars in this guy's bank account at the time and the kid rents this big house and fills it with, with all of these products and the all the trucks toys are us uh you know all of these things come up and fill up the house and it's like this whole premise was free stuff for product placement and they give them advertising. It was like, it was hilarious. And, you know, the guy who wrote the check was a mobster or something, and the money that they got was illegal. So the money disappeared to the wrong person. And it was like this whole silliness. But it was all about product placement, the whole movie.
0: Hilarious. So uh, uh, full disclosure, I've actually seen that film. That was in rotation (laughs) in in my house. I think it was actually called Blank Check and um yeah i know exactly what uh, film you're talking about and yeah i do you know what it's funny that you've mentioned that because i have not heard anyone speak about that film in years so that's um that's put a smile on my face um with the um uh with well, that sort of like a throwback memory a bit of nostalgia there as well what i'm going back to the show itself as well because i'm looking at when i've gone through your um Uh, sketches and there's also come you also have to do a lot of um logo design as well and that needs to come up so um we've already touched upon the idea of uh getting clearance through and you can never usually use uh real you try not to use real um companies and names like that because it's quite difficult um but one that stands out the most and i think um Well, there's two that stand up. The first one is the uh, Badabing uh, logo. Um, And then also, it is also the logo of the show itself, Um, which again, people have probably come to see that it's the iconic Sopranos. And then you have the gun uh, for the R as well, well. Um, which again, is like synonymous with the show. Um, when you first started designing these um, ideas, um, what was the um, sort of choices that you wanted to make regarding it? And when it comes to creating logos and titles, um, it can be quite, uh, as somebody who's not really into like non-design, it can be quite difficult to think of, of an idea, but then because your idea is so simple and sleek, um, do you ever think sometimes that it's just that simplest idea with just the smallest tweaks always work best.
1: You know, I'm, I'm not from a graphic design background, but as you, as you uh, pointed out, that becomes, especially when you're doing look exterior locations, you're ended up having to design, you know, almost a brand or a whole theory behind a business when you're doing the sign and the logo and, uh, so I, I did two sketches uh, for The Sopranos. One was a little uh, less clear and busier uh, and more old school. It was, do, do you ever, have you ever heard the term black hand? It was this, another, it was like the first mafia, Italian black hand. So I had a black, black hand superimposed over the state of New Jersey, uh, except the there's blood coming off of it. So David Chase looked at it and he he sort of smiled. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, that's a little old school. It you know would have been something more like from the twenties or thirties, the original you know influx of Italian um, mobsters in this country, and it was less clear. And then the other thing again, it was just like." sopranos with the with the gun and that's what they ran with uh, so I was very pleased that they did that but there's you know I was an artist for hire there's no uh, there's uh, I'm not getting any residuals from uh, any of that no money from the t-shirts or uh, coffee cups uh, and the Bada Bing is like you know low rent strip club and I don't know if you see this in England, but truck flaps, you know, the flaps on the back of trucks that keep the water from spraying on you.
0: Um, I think I still have those, but I don't think there's ever advertising on them. Well, Um, there
1: was no advertising. What what you would see in the States, I don't know if you see it that much anymore, is that silhouette of that woman leaning back with her breasts out, that would be like a trucker's Trucker's flat, you know, and that's the kind of guy that's going to a strip club. So I thought like, this is the most, you know, it it gets directly to that audience of the kind of person that's going to go into the strip club and the bottom being the two, the four B's with nipples on them and uh, suggested phalluses and all of this stuff just boom, right right there. Not not trying to be subtle at all. Not trying to be elegant. Bad lettering. <laughs> Bad woman's uh, uh, silhouette uh, for the basic male uh, basic male instinct. Yes. And when we Sorry. first put this sign up in, I think I forget what town it was. Was it Lodi? Lodi, New Jersey? And it's a strip club satin dolls we put the sign up it's okay to have a strip club in their town but this sign was so outrageous they made us cover it up with black tarp uh until we until we just until we shot it it couldn't just sit there now now they would be now there's probably a separate sign that says satin dolls home of the bada bing
0: Again, amazing how people can use the uh popularity of the show and sort of be like this is where the bad of being what uh, was. But uh, also the idea of like because you said is it like the the way that the sign is um been generated that it's sort of a um what is it? That it's kind of not the eye of beholder, but it's like trying to what's the word, Uh, advertised to the certain clientele, but it's just a a place that you could probably go, quite a sleazy place, um, and there's nothing more to it, really. Um, And then also the fact that it's just in black and white um, is quite striking as well, because it's not trying to sell it as a certain place, it's just here's like a nice little basic idea and design that sticks out for people if they're driving past
1: uh what what I' what I have found bizarre in all the years I've I've shot in a lot of strip clubs and scouted even more. Uh, they all try to advertise the opposite of what I did with the Bada Bing sign. They all try to make it look classy. And every strip club I've ever been in in New York area somewhere somehow has tufting tufting couches, tufted leather something. Sometimes it's even photos of tufting, like whole wall paddles of photos of tufting, because I guess that's classy. But every strip club I've ever been into has some element of tufted upholstery. Figure that out.
0: I think uh, saying that. Well, I think you did yourself a good save by saying that you'd go on recce to strip clubs rather than uh, go there just in case the uh, other half is listening. Um. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm there at the worst time when the work lights are on and uh, somebody's mopping the floor with some lousy disinfectant, and you got uh, you know spilled beer and uh, and uh, damp damp basement spell and bad uh, work lights on all at the same time.
0: Not not
1: very appealing.
0: <laughs> I guess as well, like in terms of when you go on your recce and uh, seeing what you see in terms of what you want to sort of build on sets, um, probably gives you a really good idea of how things should be, but then also what you wouldn't want in your design because it's not necessarily the same, if there's if you're talking about this tufting um, or the sofa on the walls, I guess that adds another realism if you have it in your design, but then at the same time, you don't want it to look like any other place. You want it to have a different sort of feel and vibe to it. Um, and I think as well, like having uh, sort of a big stage area in between, in the middle of the bar as well, um, it's kind of like a quite uh interesting design layout because whilst everybody sits and drinks at the bar they can still watch the show but then be served at the same time
1: yeah well that's that's the real club i didn't do that but yes strip the the poles right in the middle of the bar big u-shaped bar yes mm-hmm. one of the you know one of the aspects of the job that I did really enjoy was scouting, uh, seeing what the world was like, you know, for every location we would choose and film at, there might be, you know, three to four other locations that we would actually physically go and see. And from those three or four that we saw, the scouts had maybe done another, you know, four or five, six, Just in photos. So uh, it was a a ongoing research in terms of how people lived, how people uh, uh, presented themselves or didn't present themselves. I mean, you know, from, from the, uh, we were almost never in any of the old East side co-op, co-op buildings, the old money people They you know, you have to get permission from the owner of an apartment and also from the building or the co-op board and plenty of wealthy co-ops, just zero film policy. Uh, policy. But then a lot of the newer things that are being constructed, people were like, they want to show it off. They spent this wild money at building their, you know penthouse mansion and uh they want everybody to see it so not only do they want the architectural uh digest spread uh they want somebody to film in it so they can say see 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 what i did with my money and some of the the cost of its uh capitalism they would uh obviously spend more money on a, the wealthy people would get more money per square foot than the poor people. And the the, the location people and producers were not embarrassed at all on uh, trying to spend as little money as they could, uh, even in in the poorest places that we'd shoot. Uh, you know, we'd spend tens of thousands of dollars earlier in the day one place and be fighting over a few nickels. In another place, it's just like okay, that's the way it is,
0: mm. and I guess, as like, um, like producers, you're always gonna try to be, um, as savvy and hold on to money as possible, um, uh, just because it's you never know when things might take a turn, uh, when uh, making shows but when it came as well like what i'm curious to know about um as well and this comes down to more of a question that i was sort of thinking about earlier if you were to, to go back and do that show today um how different would your design process be and what is the one thing that you would change in, in your designing
1: like i said i would be there would probably be more ex- expectation In terms of prior to my building something about uh, presentation about what it is, especially again, especially for the permanent sets where you have prep time of a few months, two, three months, and you have time to, you know, instead of just a pencil sketch in in this day and age, I might do the pencil sketch and give it to a computer artist to then do this pre-visualization thing where it's a whole colored articulation of those rooms. And then it would probably be a whole series of uh, presentations and discussions with the writer, director, producers before they uh, green light you uh, building anything. Uh, What I would do differently, I don't...
0: I know it's a bit of a loaded question because it's very difficult to think about I guess you start thinking about the sort of negatives rather than positives of what you've done. And then there's always, there could be a little thing that you would change, but then sometimes it's just, if it's a little, if it's something so small, then sometimes it's just like, well, if it's so small, then it's not, it kind of gets, disappears into the sort of background of your thoughts.
1: Right. Well, yes. And that, you know, that's always uh, the frustrating thing for, Uh, a production designer because you create these worlds sometimes and then uh, the director comes and shoots a couple of close-ups and uh, everything you've done is uh, there but not seen. One charming producer I had uh, uh, said, uh, Dean, nobody cares what you do. they only see two inches between two actors' heads. Wow. Nice,
0: huh? That's quite savage. Those are the kind
1: of people, those are the kind of people I work for. You know, there's some, there's some uh I'm sure there's a whole group of producers and directors out there who uh, are making these communal projects and they're doing it in a in a in a cooperative uh spirit of art uh, uh i've had producers more like that just uh get it done and don't talk to me
0: yeah that's quite a savage thing to say really Um especially when you're working in a in an environment where it is so collaborative um but i guess
1: well in in uh, theater you know they they consider the set designer the costume designer lighting designer part of the the creative team in film and tv uh, i'm below the line i'm essentially a crew and that you know in the award seasons they talk about the production designers and the costume designers but when you're working you're just like usually considered like an expendable annoyance who who has a lot of responsibility and a whole half the crew working for him but it's just like you don't know uh under the union contracts uh without having to pay the next day i could i could have been laid off any day at before two thirty, if it went past two they'd have to pay me the next day but under these union contracts I was never under contract to work a whole season or a whole show you're you're essentially a day player that is expected to uh uh hop to and do their job and uh we hired you to make it look good there's sometimes not a lot of discussion about what that means And uh, hitting those emotional notes and understanding the characters is something that, you know, a designer brings to the table and uh, does by showing, not does by talking. And a lot of times the showing is until they walk into the set, because things happen so quickly, there's little time. When you're doing the episodes, when it's running, you're doing a new episode every eight days. Uh, There's almost no time to do presentation sketches and discussions. It's just uh, run and gun, and the director and producers turn up to sets, and that's the first time they've seen it. Uh, Usually the extent of the design planning that would happen when you're making episodic shows is I'm very clear about the floor plan. Again, following what the script is trying to say, trying to tell that story for that thing. And that's mostly the relationship that I would have with the directors about how they're gonna shoot these scenes with these camera angles to you know so there was a lot of planning in terms of floor plans but not in terms of uh wall colors drapery furniture all of those things they assumed i and the decorator me and the direct decorator would make work for that character a lot on your shoulders and if they don't like what you're doing, they're not going to ask you back. That's basically how it happens.
0: I guess, as well, like the. See, it seems like a lot more pressure is put on you um, as a designer, as well, knowing that you can, that you know, you could still be working, but then if you are looking at the clock and it's not 2 30 yet, and it's like kind of like, well, <laughs> all of this could be to but then also. Um, I might as well make the most of it and make sure that I smash it out of the park
1: Yes, you're always trying to do a good job the 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 one saving grace about uh, you know even if they're unhappy about you with one thing or a few things uh, it's really disruptive to uh, fire a production designer mid-season because usually the entire crew Would be replaced if a new designer came in he'd want his own construction coordinator painter decorator so all of a sudden 40 50 60 people on the show are leaving so it's just like okay let's let's keep working together it's
0: gonna be fine next one's great (laughs) just to wrap up the episode um what i'm curious to know about as well is well i guess what I'm curious to know as well is what was your favorite set to design or work or uh, location to work on?
1: I guess I enjoyed doing the, the back, back rooms, the best, both, both in the pork store and, and the, and the strip club. Those are, those are the most fun. It, I, you know, when you're on a crew set, all, all the different crews have their own crew room. So it's like, it's been a lifetime of, studying how guys hang out in various places. So I was just, I expanded on that knowledge. I also expanded on the knowledge, uh, I I grew up in in Chicago, but a a town called Cicero, it's bordered on three sides by Chicago. So it's all the same street grids, alleys, two flats, and that's where Al Capone went when uh they tried prosecuting him in Chicago. And that's who my uh grandfather worked for, delivering beer for him. So there was that was part of the reason I think I got hired by David Chase, because you know, they were trying to a lot of uh, Italians uh Italian centric show, and here I am, a blonde-haired, blue eyed boy, and uh But that made him sit back. It's like, no, I'm from Cicero. My grandfather did this. I'm from that world. And uh, that and talking about I, Claudius, uh, I think got me the job.
0: So the back rooms, hanging out. I think with the back rooms themselves, um, they are always interesting to look at because I think that's the way that you as a designer kind of uh, flexing on showing what the guys are like and what would be littered in these areas so like the pool tables or uh, certain calendars on the wall as well and I guess as you said like drawing from experience of like other uh, what other guys would have in their back rooms and in their man caves and what um what you could think you could litter it in um, I guess if you made the show today it'd be slightly different with what's also being put in um and I think with uh, a design point of view it, it you kind of have a blank canvas of what you want to put in and what you could be very specific with as well
1: very good here's I'll give you a
0: Dean, thank you so much for your time today. Sopranos uh, is on Max if people want to stream it in North America. In the UK, it's on Sky Atlantic. Thank you so much for your time today, Dean. Um, really appreciate it.
1: And, uh, you know, direct people to my uh, website so that they can look at these sketches that we talked about.
0: Don't you worry. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Um, and I'll you. put that in uh, for for you as well. Thank you again so much. You take care and bye-bye. Thank you, Rob. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.